Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Bob? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 261, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, what an episode we have on the way for you today. We're going to talk a little Micah Parsons. We got another quarterback trade in the NFL. We've got beer. We've got a Hollywood superstar passing away. We've got the World Games in Birmingham. We, I mean, there's so much that we're going to dive into. We might even talk about Brittany Griner. Who the hell knows where we're going to go on this podcast? <laughs> but we started off, as we always do, because none of this is possible without Robert Greening and his team, the green team at Greening Law. Handling it all for me as I was hurt in a car accident. You know, it was almost my, the anniversary of my car accident is one year ago next week. One year ago. So you think about that and all the stuff that I've been going through in the last year and the different doctors I've seen and the chiropractors and the people as they try and figure out, is there a way to get this back issue I've been dealing with since the wreck taken care of? And it's the green team that handles it for me. They're the ones that set the appointments. They're the ones that deal with all the insurance stuff and everything in the background. Why? Truly so that I can focus, even though it's been a year and I feel for the most part, I feel good, but the back thing just has been bothering me. But still, I get to focus on healing. I get to focus on being renewed. That's what Greening Law is all about. And that's why you should pick up the phone, dial 972-934-8900 if you've been involved in an accident. And it doesn't matter whether it's a car accident like Matt, a residential accident in somebody else's home, a business accident. It doesn't matter. They're really good, and it doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone and say, hey, here's my situation. What do you guys think? And they'll tell you, hey, we think we got a case, let's go, or hey, we're not quite so sure, good luck. But if they take you on as a client, let me tell you, Matt will tell you, it's your lucky day, bro, because they're going to grind for you. They will. They definitely will grind for you, making it happen. It's Robert Greening, Greening Law. Consultation's free. Again, the call is very easy. They'll ask you a few questions. It's nothing to be worried about. It's nothing to be concerned about. Just make that call. If you find yourself in that situation, 972 972- 934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So we did this the other day on our last podcast, and ESPN has been going through this. And I actually think this is kind of interesting because they compile a list where they survey more than 50 league executives, coaches, scouts, and players. 
and they're rating the top 10 players at 11 different positions. So these are the guys that evaluate the talent, the guys that are going up against the talent, the guys that coach the talent. These are the people putting this list together, which I think is great. We did edge rushers the other day. They did defensive tackles. This might come as a shock to everybody. The Cowboys didn't have anybody on the top 10 of defensive tackles or in the like eight guys listed as honorable mention or in the five other guys that were listed as also receiving votes. So basically, perfect. yeah, basically the league is telling us they don't think anybody that plays defensive tackle for the Cowboys is all that, which I, I don't think, I don't know that anybody, anyone would make an argument. You know, maybe if Neville Gallimore can stay healthy, but I still don't know that he's going to have a ceiling that projects him as one of the top 10 or 15 defensive tackles in football. But today they did off-ball linebackers. And we were curious about this with Micah Parsons. Would they consider him an edge rusher? He was not considered as an edge rusher. Or would they consider him an off-ball linebacker? And they have considered him an off-ball linebacker. As a matter of fact, and I find this deserved after one year in the league, but it prompts a different conversation. Darius Leonard is ranked as the best off-ball linebacker in football. As you might imagine, he, of course, is in the midst of his $99.2 million extension he signed before the beginning of last season. Through four seasons, Leonard has 11 picks, 17 forced fumbles, six fumble recoveries, and 15 sacks. He's pretty damn good. Four seasons in, he's proven it. He's also had back surgery and will miss part of training camp recovering that. Number two listed as the second best off-ball linebacker in all of the NFL, Micah Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys. Ain't nobody surprised, dog. He was almost defensive player of the year. And If not for T.J. Watt having a great season. Yeah, he would have been. You're exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting. His highest ranking was number one. No one that, that they talked to ranked him lower than 10th. So that means like 50 people from the NFL that are all into this believe this is one of the top 10 guys, which I think we all would say that. One AFC scout says he's a one percenter. Some other NFL coordinator says, I don't see Micah as an off-the-ball linebacker at all. He's really a 3-4 outside linebacker that DQ schemes into situational opportunities. Somebody in the NFC, an executive, says, if Dallas does anything but let him rush, they're crazy. Another AFC executive says, regardless, doesn't matter. He's the best playmaker on this list. Incredible talent. The speed is so good, they're smart to use him all over. Now, I think that I think the best thing I heard there was if they do anything but use him as a pass rusher, they're crazy. Yeah. See, I think outside, you know, I'm talking about passing situations, which in the NFL is all the time now. Uh, I think they're right because that's what the game is about. It's about pressuring quarterbacks and creating uh, opportunities for them to screw up. Because, as we've discussed a million times, quarterbacks under duress make mistakes. If you don't put no pressure on them, them dudes will pick you apart. Even the bums will pick you apart. And so if you've got Tank Lawrence hopefully playing at a high level because he's healthy with something to prove, and you have Micah Parsons doing what you expect great players to do, now you have a pass rush that you hope will create opportunities for a secondary that showed they could make some plays last year. Yeah, you would hope so. As they say in the CSPN thing, the reason why they put him in this category is he's still expected to split his snaps between rushing from the line of scrimmage and playing off the ball as a traditional linebacker. 
They say eventually he'll likely be in the edge rusher rankings because his pass rush win rate is 29.2%, which would have ranked number one in the league, even amongst edge rushers, if he had played enough snaps to qualify. I mean, this is this dude's a bad man, and we all know that. I just wonder, have we set the bar too high for Micah Parsons? And, and maybe not the bar, but the expectations, because okay, last year... Well, what's the expectation? It's almost okay. You're Lawrence Taylor now. Like, if he comes in and he does anything less than the 13 sacks that he got last year and doesn't finish, let's say, in the top three or four of Defensive Player of the Year voting at the end of the season, I think there will be a viewpoint that somehow he has not. Because how do you do more than what we saw him do last year, I guess? No, I say uh, the expectation thing is a fair question. It's just a matter of how you how you manage it and what you um, what you what you think that it is. And, you know, some of it is. And the challenge for him is. That how do I you know, everybody's scheming for you now. It's not like he was a surprise last year, but at a certain point he did become a surprise. Um, But, you know, man, at, uh, at a certain point, if you if you're great, it doesn't really matter. People scheme for, for whether it was Lawrence yeah. Taylor or Aaron Donald or any great player. The reason why they're great is that shit don't matter. Um, you know, I was looking at Lawrence Taylor's stats, man, and he had nine and a half sacks as a rookie. Well, his second year he had seven and a half, then nine, and then – so it, it wasn't until his fourth year that he rattled off like seven straight double-digit sack seasons. Yeah. But we all think he was having 15 sacks a year from the jump. Um you know, so it, it'll be interesting. But I have a lot of confidence in um, Michael Parsons because I think he plays the game the right way. I think he practices the right way. And I think he has a desire to be great that not every player with great talent has. And so, you know, until proved otherwise, I think he's going to be great. But, you know, one thing we need to do, man, maybe we'll do it for Sunday, is uh, is look at what those, those dudes had a lot of sacks as rookies or their first time they had a lot of sacks, what they did later. Uh, the next year in terms of, you know, how, how teams adjusted it and caught up to them. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see because, it, like, even perhaps another comparison that we could give is another Cowboy and DeMarcus Ware who came into the league as a rookie. He wasn't as nearly as dominant as a rookie as what we saw from Micah Parsons last year, but we're still talking about a guy who had eight sacks as a rookie for the Cowboys. His second year, he finished second-team All-Pro, made the Pro Bowl, and ended up with 11 and a half sacks, which started for DeMarcus Ware, a string of seven consecutive seasons in which he had double-digit sacks. And, of course, was within that seven-season little beginning in his year two, was also four out of, out of those seven years he finished first-team All-Pro and was one of the most dominant linebackers in the game. And, and you kind of wonder, is that the trajectory? If you can get 13 as a rookie... And really, and that's going to be tough because it's difficult to get the double-digit sacks. I mean, obviously, with the extra game, that 17th game helps. But let's say he got 11 sacks this year, 10 and a half sacks. I just kind of wonder, will people look at it and go, uh, not quite as good as a rookie when he had 13? Um, I think it depends on the year because he's not just a sack guy. He's a playmaker. Right. So, you know, how many plays are you making? How disruptive are you? And we can tell it, man. We don't even have to see the stats. You know whether the guy's dominating. Um, and just, you know, showing up every single solitary time there's a big play. He's somewhere around there, which is what he was last year. And so uh, I think we'll, we'll know. But, 
it's like anybody in the NFL, man. And a lot of it's about health. And so if he can stay healthy or not have some nagging thing, like Zeke, you know, I played all year, but clearly I was hurt, and so I couldn't yeah. put up the numbers. So if he's healthy, man, now I could be wrong because I thought, you know, um, your boy Leighton Vanderish was about to start something <laughs> special. Yeah. We'll see how that turned out. It looks like Michael Parsons is something special. Let's see what happens this year and, and see if he can do it. But I always love his attitude, man. I love his stated desire to be great and the actions behind it. And normally when cats are like that and they have talent, then, you know, it turns out the way you think it's going to turn out. Yeah, it usually does. And I think that that is one of the big differences for me. And again, you know, Leighton Vander Esch as a rookie had a really nice season. It was nowhere near what we saw from Micah Park. I mean, it, not even close at all. I, it's he as a rookie, Leighton comes into the league, didn't even have a sack. He, and yeah, he was everywhere. It looked like, okay, we, we found this really good linebacker. He had a ridiculous amount of tackles now. I mean, he had 140 tackles. And Micah Parsons only had like 80-something. I mean, he was all over the place as a rookie. And then, of course, we have not really seen much of Leighton. But he had injury concerns and a little bit of stuff coming out of college as it was. But you never, to me, heard the types of things from Leighton as a rookie that you were hearing from Micah Parsons as a rookie, like a real hunger to be great. No, because Leighton doesn't really talk. And I, I'm not saying that throwing shade at him. It's just, you know, he's not a big fan of talking much. So you don't hear much from Leighton about, um, you know, performances or goals or what he could do or couldn't do or should have done, any of that. And, um, you know, but still, I thought he'd be better, better than he was. And then, you know, he's like just a guy now, which is shocking to me because, I mean, he looks like such a terrific player his first year. So hopefully he can get back to being good. Uh, not just a guy, but be a good player. Uh, it'd be a help for the defense. But, yeah, man, we got to, you know, Leighton is why I give just a, a smidgen of pause. But, you know, uh, Michael Parton's such a much better athlete than Leighton Van Der Esch. It's really, I don't know if we really should be comparing them at all. Yeah, and, and they play completely differently as well because Micah Parsons, I mean, there's this article and, and we're kind of talking about, he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I mean, Micah Parsons had 30 quarterback hits last year in addition to the 13 sacks. Leighton Vanderish had one quarterback hit sack combined as a rookie. Totally different. The way that he seems to wreak havoc and that you have to account for him. And let's be honest. I mean, Leighton Vanderish, the thing that really jumped out to me as a rookie is he had these long arms and, it, and he tackled really well. He was a very good tackler. But Micah yes. Parsons seems to be where the ball is going before the ball gets there. Whereas Leighton Vanderesh would be there to tackle them after the ball got there and he could wrap you up. But Micah Parsons is waiting for you when you get where you were supposedly going to go. And a lot of that, it, yeah, it's speed. We have all speed. His speed's ridiculous. But his instincts really, to me, jumped out as a rookie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was a huge deal for it. I mean, he did make first team all pro. Yeah, he this did. Was, this he wasn't did. no fluky thing, dog. Yeah. He was a terrific player. Yeah. Um, he just hadn't been able to get that. He hadn't been able to reach that level again. And that's that's the frustration with him. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it ain't nobody's fault, man. It's just what it is. But uh, we'll see if he can get there. Yeah, man. I mean, it's year two, Micah Parsons. The expectations are sky high. And as you said, we'll, we'll see if he can get there. The other note around the NFL is the trade that came down. And, you know, when I first saw this, I thought, I wonder if the Browns know something. Because they have traded Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers. 
Now, there's a couple of things moving parts on this. Baker agreed to take $3.45 million less to help the trade go through. The Panthers and the Browns, like the Browns are picking up half of what is owed to Baker Mayfield this year. The Panthers will pay the other half. But it's interesting to me because if it's not going to be someone else coming in, Deshaun Watson, like we all thought he was going to get suspended for a season, the next two guys on the Browns quarterback roster right now would be Jacoby Brissett or Josh Dobbs. And when I first saw this, I thought, I wonder if the Browns got word that it's not going to be an entire season for Deshaun. And so they were willing to move on from Baker. Well, let me say this. I believe that they already know what suspension he's getting. All right. Or, you know, because they had to know 10 days out what the recommended suspension is from the uh, from the league. So they already have a firm idea. And whatever the recommended suspension is, given the NFL history of these things, that's what you should anticipate getting. I just think that Baker was so toxic in the locker room in terms of teammates not liking him or whatever, poor fit, whatever, that they just decided, like, he can't come back. You know, like, we once we got Deshaun Watson and, and leading up to that, there was so much negativity about Baker. He just – he literally can't come back. Yeah. And so we just got to deal with the fallout, you know, with uh, whatever's happening with Deshaun. And there might even be some – I'm just saying, there could be some internal discussion that – Jacoby Brissett might not be as good as Baker Mayfield, but he's not that far removed from Baker Mayfield. So if Jacoby got to play for a minute, he can manage the game. We got some offensive talent. We got a good defense. And he can keep us in the game and, you know, see what's up. Yeah. Yeah, and perhaps that's what it is. But Baker goes to Carolina where the expectation is that he would beat out Sam Darnold to become the starting quarterback for the next year and third-round pick Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, who they drafted. But that's what Carolina's going to roll with. And, you know, Baker to me is one of those players, you look at what he is, he is, to me, that quarterback that if you put some weapons around him and you give him a really good defense, he can win you some games. But the reality of it is he's a career 61% passer and he doesn't even have a touchdown-to-interception ratio good enough to be 2-1. to one. It's like 1.7 to 1 or something like that. And, and so when I see those kind of numbers and I look at the four seasons in the league, what I see is a perfectly average quarterback. Well, you know what, man? I was talking to my boy at the gym this morning uh, who, who we were doing some treadmill work and he saw Baker go in. And so that started a whole Baker conversation. And I said, you know what, man? I think Baker is a sh- he, he's not a prototypical quarterback size. So he's not a big guy. And if, if you're not a big guy in the NFL at quarterback, to me, and I don't think I'm breaking news here, though, you got to have some kind of superpower. You know, if you're Kyler Murray, it's obvious that you got speed. If you're Russell Wilson, it's obvious that you got athleticism in this. If you're Drew Brees, you know, you got this super duper computer brain and you got accuracy, you know, so, but all these undersized guys have a superpower. I'm just asking you. What is Bray, what is uh whatever his name is? Uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that's how that's how irrelevant he is. I don't forgot his name while I was talking about him. What is Baker Mayfield's superpower other than this boulder sized chip on his shoulder? That's a really good question, man. I don't know what it is. It, no, it, other than I'm like you just said, because I think it's that attitude, it's that moxie that people really like about Baker, but other than that, his game well, is not up to his mouth. Bro, and you have to be a certain level good for your moxie shit to matter. Yeah. 
And if you're not that good for your matcha to matter, I, I, I do like this, dog, all the time. You can train. I could train as seriously as I could, as I could train for six months. Your boy's not benching 450, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not about it's not about desire or want to. I just I can't do it. I maxed out at whatever I maxed out at 385 or whatever. If you're baking, if you don't have a superpower other than your moxie, dog, you can't even get to the point where your moxie matters because you're not good enough to get there. It's not a rip or a shade at you. It's just what it is. That mattered when your talent in high school. And college allowed you to play at an elite level so that now your moxie mattered. The athletes in the NFL are so good that he's just a guy as an athlete, which means his moxie don't mean shit. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and to me, and, and you know, we like to use, I think, Kirk Cousins as like the baseline for are you average or maybe you're better than average because it feels like Kirk right. Cousins is perfectly average. Well, I, I did this earlier. I went back and I looked at it through their first, like it's not perfect, but I did... I did enough because Baker's played 60 games. All right. He's been in the league for four years. He's played 60 games. Kirk Cousins, it took him six seasons to get to that point because he didn't play a lot his first two years. So through their first 60, 62 games for Kirk Cousins and 60 games for Baker Mayfield, their numbers, Baker's a 61.6% passer. Kirk Cousins was a 65.5. So he's a slightly more accurate passer. And by the way, we live in a day today that if you're not a minimum 65% passer in the NFL, that's like the cutoff for can you be better than average? Like if Bruh, you're if you're you below the word it's right true. there. If you're below 65% passer in today's NFL, you you are at best your average. And you're probably below average. Kirk Cousins 99 touchdowns, 55 interceptions. Baker Mayfield 92 touchdowns, 56 interceptions. I mean, we're, we're talking about very similar levels of quarterback here. So for all of you who buy into Baker Mayfield and are all about that, you are talking about somebody who's really slightly behind where Kirk Cousins is. Bruh. So and what it means is you can win some games for you, but you ain't finna go. I mean, he's not taking you to a championship. Right. He's not you going know? to. And, and, and I don't know that Carolina has any. And this is where it gets interesting for Baker. Because you are a former number one overall pick that your franchise got rid of before you got to a fifth year. You now are with Carolina. Carolina doesn't have, and I actually think Baker will struggle more in Carolina because at least Cleveland had some weapons for him. Carolina's got nothing. They got DJ Moore. They brought in Robbie Anderson at wide receiver. If Christian McCaffrey's not healthy, doesn't matter. Carolina's not going to do anything. Baker's going to have a rough year if Christian McCaffrey doesn't stay healthy. If he does, then you wonder, okay, Carolina, what have you got? And are you going to sign Baker to a long-term contract and pay that dude? And don't laugh. I know that you, we can just got done with that whole spiel. Baker Mayfield on the open market is probably a $30 million quarterback or more. Reality. Because look at where that would put him in the hierarchy of quarterback pay. Bro. That's, I don't know about that. Where, well, where, what does Teddy Bridgewater make? Well, Teddy Bridgewater, let's see. Because I'm trying to think of like a starting quarterback in the NFL. If you're making, let's see, average salary, you would be, that would be like Matt Ryan makes $30 million a year. Ryan Tannehill's 29.5. Jameis right, Winston's yeah. 14. And that's, see, I put him, I put him, like, I don't think, now, nah, again, based on what we know and what we've seen this year, like, Baker ain't Ryan Tannehill. Or the other dude. So 
But what happens is, and I think your point is, even if you said, okay, he's not this, he's a $22 million quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like the lower echelon of starters, you're still making 22 or $23 million a year. Yeah, unless because all the quarterbacks that aren't making above, like Jameis Winston's Tom Brady, but he never counts because he structures his contract and it's weird. But Jameis Winston's the only starting quarterback who's not making $27 million who's not on a rookie contract. Yeah, okay. Damn. Jameis Winston's making 14. Every other starting quarterback in the league is either making 27 and a half or more or is on a rookie contract. And I'm talking like Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Zach Wilson, Tua, all those, Justin Herbert. I mean, all those guys that are starting quarterbacks that are on rookie contracts, there's a reason that they're not getting paid a lot and they're about to get paid more. I mean, again, keep in mind, Jimmy Garoppolo is making 27.5 and he and the San Francisco 49ers can't find a home for him. Yeah, I guess you make a good point there, bro. I ain't paying him. How about that? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> you don't have to pay him. You don't, You definitely don't have to pay him. But I was just looking at that's 14 quarterbacks, 14 quarterbacks in the NFL who are making over 27.5 or more a year. Tom Brady's making 15. Winston is 14. So that's 16 of the quarterbacks right there. And then you can go through all the other ones that are on rookie quarter contracts, and there might be a guy or two, like, for instance, in Seattle, who they're going to roll with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, and, and, and those guys aren't making anything. True that, true that, true that. But outside of that, man, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if somebody believes Baker Mayfield's got a little something, you know, you're looking at a dude that's probably going to cost you, and it's after this season when some of these other guys that are on rookie contracts are going to have their contracts re- restructured. Baker's probably going to cost you in the neighborhood of, of 25 to $30 million a year if you want to start him. Otherwise, yeah. he's about to go and become a backup guy, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, a Drew Locke type guy who will bounce around the different teams and they'll be willing to pay him 7 to $14 million a year. Hey, well, we still made good. Right, still great money, but not what people always thought he might turn into. Well, I, I, I had this conversation again with my boy this morning at the gym, man, and I'm just like, you know, the thing about, um, you know, Baker is just how good can he be and how much do you want to pay for that? And, I, don't, I you know, it, it always comes to just like, I don't know, bro. The good thing for him is he has a – well, the other part of that conversation was, do you know how hard the, the Browns wanted him to succeed? You don't draft a dude number one and not spend the next three or four years on your knees praying that he's that guy. And so when you don't succeed at number one, you've been given every opportunity to succeed and you still ain't been able to make it happen. Yep. So I don't know. I I don't buy. I think after four years, we kind of know what Baker is and what it means for Carolina. Who knows? I also think it's interesting because the cost of that, the cost to get Baker Mayfield was extraordinarily affordable. A fifth round pick with conditions. And then Cleveland's literally Carolina is going to pay Baker Mayfield five million dollars. That's it this year and a fifth-round pick. Seattle, who we all thought wanted a quarterback, apparently is going to roll with Drew Locke and, and Geno Smith. But keep in mind that next year's quarterback class is one of the deepest. Like, I mean, it's one of those, there will be five quarterbacks taken in the first round next year, and there might even be five quarterbacks taken in the top half of the draft next year. It's a deep one. And I kind of wonder if there's teams like Seattle that look over there and go, well, we're probably not good anyway this year. Let's roll with Drew Locke and Geno Smith, see what happens and where we wind up to grab one of those guys next year. No, I, I think that's good. I mean, I think because, one, 
And see, this, you know, you just raised a great point, bro. Uh, That's why I do a show with you. Um, it's <laughs> that, is that we're talking about Baker Mayfield. Do you really want to pay Baker Mayfield $25 million? Or you want to take one of these first-round quarterbacks next year and have five years of total $25 million? Yeah, I mean, to me, and, and see, this is, and we talk about this in a variety of different ways. Sometimes potential, if you believe in your coaching staff, you kind of look at Baker Mayfield and think, well, we kind of know what that guy is. But we don't know what this quarterback can be. Maybe we can hit on one of these guys. And that's why NFL teams get obsessed with quarterbacks in the draft because sometimes proven commodity, you know what, you know what Baker is. Man, but we might have a shot at one of these guys in the draft next year that could be something that, that's got all kinds of potential. And then you believe in yourself, you believe in your staff, Pete Carroll, whatever the case would be, that it's up to us to extract the potential of said quarterback. More so than, well, Baker's kind of what Baker is. No, I think um, I think that's exactly what it is, Doug. Exactly. So we move forward here on the Jam Session podcast, and let's tell you about Freeway Tire Shop, may we? I'm surprised you don't have a car there right now. But he does. See, here's the thing that, that's interesting about Jacques. He's got all these cars. Everybody who has a car, you have to get your tires rotated, an oil change, a state inspection, a variety of other routine maintenance. And then sometimes you need like really serious work done. So the fact that Jacques seems to always have a car there doesn't mean that the work's not quality. It's high quality. It's just the fact that Jacques has so many cars. The only person he entrusts to do anything to them at all is JR and his crew at Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, got one over there today. <laughs> Why wouldn't, start not- this, wouldn't start this one. Wouldn't start this one. Had to get it towed over there. That ain't JR's fault. It's called having old cars. So, you know, I towed it over there. Called. This is how it works for me. I said, hey, it's Jacques Taylor from Jam Session. I'm sending the car over there through a tow. Just want y'all to know when it show up. Hey, man, how you doing? It's JR picking up the phone. So I said, hey, bro. I'm about to put another one of your kids through college. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, we had a good chat. But I rock with J.I. not just because he picks up the phone of his own business, but because I trust him to diagnose the problem of what this issue is. <laughs> I trust him to use quality parts to fix this issue. And then, man, I trust J.R. to charge me a fair freaking price, which not enough people do. And then I trust him to stand behind his work. He's done that consistently the 27,000 times I've had a car at his shop. And that's why, you know, I can't wait for 27,001. Sounds good to me, man. (laughs) I mean, if you don't buy into JR after listening to Jacques talk about him, I don't know what else we can tell you. Go over there, give JR and Freeway Tire Shop that opportunity so you can experience what Jacques is always telling you about, that level of customer service. It's easy to do. Just north of downtown Dallas, you can find them online. Request a quote, schedule an appointment at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take this trip around the block and a couple of things to get into. First, I sent you this article, and I hope that you at least perused it because it came from one of our fantastic listeners who sent it to us on our Instagram page, which, by the way, if you're on Instagram, you can find us on our Instagram at Jam Session Cast. And Jennifer sent this over to us, and it's an article that she came across, the best states ranked for beer lovers in America. So obviously, of course, I get curious. I open it up, I read this, and I, and, and I have two things. Where does my state that I currently live in, in Alabama, <laughs> rank? 
And where does yes. Texas rank? Because, look, all this information is publicly available if you know how to find it, like breweries per capita and how many breweries are in each state and barrels and all this type of thing. And so really they weighted this based on a lot of that is production, how many breweries per capita, how many barrels are being produced, things of that nature. I'm just going to stop you. We're not that freaking low. Okay, now you can continue. I would agree with you. And look, and I think anybody who knows anything about craft beer will tell you Mississippi is hands down the worst state for craft beer in the country, and I don't think it's close. I think it's an injustice to put anybody next to them on that list because, (laughs) as this article says, with the lowest number of craft breweries and total breweries per capita, as well as the fewest barrels of craft beer produced per capita, they're dead last. And, And Mississippi is like dead last in so many categories their laws their alcohol laws are weird their distribution laws are difficult they don't want craft beer to be successful in that state and they've proven it they only have at least at the end of 2021 they had 14 craft breweries in the entire state 14 you know what's you know what's funny about that is one of my first trips to jackson i called you said hey i'm gonna be in jackson uh i'll check out a couple breweries what do you recommend you're like none <laughs> yeah, there aren't any. There's not. There aren't any breweries in Jackson. And I was like, "Wow, really?" Yeah, okay. they used to have two, and the, and they both closed down. Uh, there's one in Hattiesburg. There's one in Kiln. There's one. Trying to think, there there might be a couple in Hattiesburg, like Southern Prohibitions in Hattiesburg, and they're okay. And then you see a couple in some of the other places, like like trying to think, like Vicksburg has like one or two. They're very random. Like Oxford, home of Ole Miss, does not have a craft brewery. Wow, you know, and and so it, it, they're bad. Number, see, and this is what I didn't get. I they must have put like Puerto Rico on the oh district. Okay, I see DC yeah, is on this list because Mississippi was fifty first. They have Alabama 50th, and they have Arkansas 49th. Those are two states that you visit quite a bit. I can tell you, you live in, they're wrong. Visit. Alabama, as they say, only has 52 craft breweries statewide, which isn't a lot. But again, keep in mind, there's like four and a half million people in the entire state. He says, whether or not you include macro breweries, Alabama sits near the bottom in terms of breweries per capita. Beer just isn't this state's thing. They obviously have not spent a lot of time because there are some very good breweries in Huntsville. There's some very good breweries in Birmingham. And as they point out, like it, it, it honestly makes me think that they didn't spend a lot of time or they've never been to Alabama and tried some of the beer here. I wouldn't put Alabama dead last. Arkansas, and, and you can tell that they didn't do a lot with their research on Arkansas. Their comment on Arkansas, home to the Razorbacks and only 46 breweries across the entire state. Yes, there is a growing craft beer scene in Little Rock with breweries like Stone's Throw making great beers. Stone's Throw's beers are nasty. They're not good. <laughs> but it is still small when compared to other cities or of similar size. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? Anybody who knows anything about the beer scene in, in Arkansas doesn't bring up Little Rock. They bring up Fayetteville, where there are more breweries breweries that are popping up, brewing on a better level than the ones in Little Rock are brewing. Now, Little Rock has a couple like Lost 40 and Flyway has a couple of good beers. But reading that made me think, my God, they didn't actually go into Arkansas. They just Googled something to see what they could pull out of it. You know, bro, the problem with doing a story like this, a list like this is you have to really be thorough. I would compare it to this, man. It'd be like if you're doing who had the best high school football. 
Uh, well, okay, fine. It's easy to do Texas, Florida, California. It's just yeah. how you want to rank. Yeah, it. it's it's harder to do Kansas, Wyoming, and some other places. But if you're going to do that, then you really have to go and really do it because there's going to be a Matt McLaren of high school football who really knows his shit, who says your list is shady, and they give you three or four reasons off the top of their head why it's shady, and you just go, hmm, all right, uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at with this. And, okay, I've now been told that there's a brewery that opened in Jackson in May named Fertile Ground Brewery. So I apologize oh. when I just said that there weren't any breweries in Jackson, but apparently Fertile Ground Brewing has opened in Jackson, Mississippi, and it opened in Absolutely. May. So obviously I, I haven't heard of that one yet. <laughs> I'll check it out, see if it's any good. On Fertile Ground Beer Company. There it is. It is open five days a week, brand new in May. So good for them. Good for them. Jackson needed a brewery. That's good news. The other thing that's interesting about this, and, and like I would put, it's not like I'm trying to say Alabama or Arkansas should be in the top 20, but to be at the bottom of the list is comical when like they should be ahead of West Virginia, Kentucky, Utah. They should be ahead of D.C., they shot, They should probably be ahead, honestly, of Louisiana, despite the fact that Louisiana has Great Raft and Parish Brewing. Overall, the totality of the beer scene is better than that. And there's some interesting things. Like, they put Texas, for instance, on this list at 31. And I understand because Texas gets penalized because, yes, DFW and Houston and Austin have tons of breweries, but there's only 406 craft breweries in the state of Texas. For the amount of population in Texas, they're only 47th in breweries per capita. Okay, but to me, it's such a big-ass state. There's only five cities in Texas. Yeah, I mean, the rest of y'all can yeah. be pissed off, but that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, You know what they are. The population hubs, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. mean, reality being... And see, and then this this is so generic because they do what everybody who's actually never been to Texas breweries does. They go, while there are some amazing breweries in Texas that have massive amounts of respect, looking at you, Jester King, everybody on the planet has heard of Jester King. If that's your go-to Texas brewery, what you were telling me is that's the only Texas beer you've actually ever had. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying that, and that's how I feel. Now, I was curious about this because you keep scrolling down, you get to the top 10. Michigan, number 10, and I, I understand that. Wisconsin, Montana, and people don't realize Montana has a ridiculous amount of crap breweries. Maine, I would definitely agree with that. Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, California is number four. Oregon, number three. Colorado, number two. And Vermont, number one. And it's hard to disagree with Vermont. I mean, Hill Farmstead, The Alchemist, Lawson's is up there. Fiddlehead is up there. There's so many great breweries that are up in Vermont. But I just thought, you know, it, it's... Have you been up there to uh, sample all of those? No, no. But I'm hoping to go sometime. Actually, I mean, I'll pull back the curtain. My, oh. my proposed bachelor party trip, I'd like to go to Vermont and go to The Alchemist and hit a couple of those breweries. All right. Great which I heard some hilarious, my brother. Laughter? Well, yeah, my brother Chris was like, what, what you want to go to Vermont for a bachelor party? He's like, really? I don't want a bachelor party. I don't, I mean, I don't care, you know, at this point in my life, but it's a great excuse for me to get some of my, my good friends to give them to an excuse their, for us to yeah. all be able to go on a trip together. <laughs> yeah, all right. 
Fair enough. So really that's, and I said, you know what? I'm never going to be able to get like Nick and Brandon and a couple of other guys to agree that we're all going to go to Vermont and check out these breweries. But if I say, Hey, it's my bachelor party. Then I think that they can sit here and go, yeah, we got to go. It's match bachelor party. Let's go to the breweries. Okay. Fair enough. So that's what I'm hoping will happen, but we'll see. We'll see. Depends on the timing and and the, the wedding and all that type of thing of where I'd be able to go. But I thought that was interesting. The other thing that I have for you here in this trip around the block, and this happened apparently last night, but everybody found out about it today. Longtime actor James Kahn has passed away. He was 82 years old, born in 1940, and I think James Kahn is one of those actors like that crosses generations because the generation before mine remembers him, obviously probably going to the theater and seeing him play Sonny Corleone in The Godfather and and being blown away and, and Godfather 2, seeing him, you know, around then, maybe even a couple of years before that, in Brian's song was such a significant role in that, The Gambler back in the day. And then people like me who remember him from the program in the 90s as the coach and in Misery as the author who Kathy Bates' crazy character smashed his ankles. And even, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it was 20 years ago, but it was. In 2003, he played Will Ferrell's dad in the holiday classic Elf. <laughs> Which, of course, I hadn't seen because it's silly. But uh, oh, it's very silly. Know, it's very silly. You know, he really is generational. You know, when I caught up with him last, man, was watching, uh, what was that show? Las Vegas or Casino or something where he was kind of like the head of the uh, Las casino. Vegas. Yeah, he was in Las yeah. Vegas. Which was uh, which is for what we look at TV these days. It was actually a pretty good show, um, and that's I enjoyed him in that man. Uh, I thought he was a terrific actor. He was man, and he had he all like most of the time when he was in a movie, he had kind of like that, like you don't have physically come across as intimidating, but my God, you're intimidating. Like he had that kind of like attitude of like I'll kill you, you know, like like d- d- that weird like. You know, I, I may talk to you and I may not be big and, and, and like where I can beat the crap of you. But while we're talking right now, I'll reach over and rip your balls straight out from between your legs. <laughs> well, see, that's what I'm saying, bro. That's what he was like uh, on Las Vegas. Like, you know, because yeah. think about it. Then he was an older guy, but he still had that presence about him that made you think, yeah, he's older. But yeah, I, I don't really want him mad at me. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. He was the one guy. In a lot of films where I think I would agree with you, where you're like, yeah, I don't want to piss that dude off. And he had, I mean, he was in everything from big time blockbuster movies that we all remember to small little independent movies. For instance, I remember him, Owen and Luke Wilson's first ever movie that they did with Wes Anderson back in the mid 90s that they filmed in Dallas was a movie called Bottle Rocket that I absolutely loved when I was in high school. And he was one of the main characters in Bottle Rocket. And at the time, Nobody knew who the Wilsons were. No, like we didn't know Owen and Luke Wilson. You'd never seen him in anything. Right. It was the first thing they ever did. So you're watching right. these random dudes in this indie film, and holy hell, there's James Caan. And you're like, why is James Caan in this? <laughs> you know, I mean, but I'm just going to scroll through some of the movies that he was in that a lot of you guys are going to remember. He was uh, going all the way back to the Glory Guys in 1965, nominated for a Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year in that. Brian's song, obviously, I mean, he played one of the, t- the, the main character. I mean, he was Brian. <laughs> Brian, yeah, he was yeah. Brian in Brian's song. 
The Godfather, which I think everybody's familiar with. The Gambler, he was nominated for Golden Globe Awards for both of those. Funny Lady, another Golden Globe nomination. Rollerball, the original Rollerball. Remember that movie? Barely, but I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, he he was in that. He was in Kiss Me Goodbye. He was in Dick Tracy that came out in 1990. Misery. Everybody remembers Misery. Oh, Misery. Misery. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, he was the author who got his ankle shattered by Kathy Bates. Yeah, no, nah, that was a hell of a movie. Man, man no doubt. That movie. Think about it. Wasn't a lot of glue wasn't a lot of blood, but the tension. Man, goodness. it was intimidating. Yeah, she was. I mean, there's a reason why she won the Academy Award for that. So no, you she, have that. She earned that thing. Yeah, you've, you had. He was in Bottle Rocket, as I mentioned. He was in Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was in that movie. Mickey Blue Eyes, The Way of the Gun, Dogville, Elf. What's funny, though, is I started looking at this, and I was like, man, When's the last time that I saw a movie that he was in? Because he was in a movie called Queen Bees, which came out last year, his final role. And apparently that's a movie about old people because everybody on the picture of it looks old as hell. But it's, it's, it was Ellen Bernstein, James Caan, Anne-Margaret, Christopher Lloyd's in it, Jane Curtin. I mean, all those people are, are getting up there in age. But that, right. I never saw that. And I was scrolling through. I was like, man. What the hell is the last movie that I saw him in? <laughs> and I got to well, be honest with you. I, I, I got to say, I don't know that I had seen anything that he's been in probably since Elf in 2003. And he's Damn. been in a bunch of movies since then. I don't know that I've seen any of them. Dude. Well, now you got me looking like, and I need to go back to my James Conn list of movies. Yeah, because, I mean, he, you know, I saw Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, but he was a voice in that. He wasn't, he, you know, I guess if you count that. He was in That's My Boy with Adam Sandler and, I, and, and Andy Samberg, and I made the mistake of seeing that. So I saw that. That was 2012. But the last probably 10, 15 movies since 2012, and that's my boy, I don't, I don't believe I ever saw any of them. But James Caan's one of those actors that you're like, oh, yeah, he's on TV all the time. I see him on this. I just saw him on this the other day or whatever it was. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. That's how I feel about that guy. <laughs> it's like Robert Duvall. I mean, Robert Duvall's one of the greatest actors of all time, you know? Right. You know, you realize Robert Duvall is 91 years old? Well, you know, bro, anytime one of these... Uh... Like, so I just saw an older picture of James Conn. I was like, oh, I don't remember him looking like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, you know, I don't know, bro. And he just, I'm, I'm just asking because I don't know. I just saw that he died. Did he just die of old age? Yeah, I believe it was just, oh, I mean, he was 82 years old. Oh, okay. You know, when you're 82, especially for the generation before, I think by the time you get to 82, you, you've lived a pretty damn good life. Yeah, because he looked, uh, he looked a pretty, I mean, there's some 82s who look 70. Yeah. There's some 82s who look 90. And he's, uh, he was, that last picture I saw, he was looking pretty old there. But I, be, I imagine he had a hell of a run uh, in terms of the good life. Yeah, I mean, you know, life expectancy in the United States is 78, 79 years old. So once you get into your upper 80s and you're in your or your upper 70s and you're in your early 80s, I mean, even in Canada, life expectancy is 82. So, I mean, I mean, that's just that's it's 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 tough to get past 80, man. It really is. I'm going to live yeah. to 100, but it's tough to get past well, 80. Now, my dad talks about being in overtime all the time. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, you know, but it's interesting because with where we're at and the way that technology is advancing at a rapid rate, I mean, our, yeah. our ability to medically care for the elderly is greater now than it ever was. I mean, 20, 40 years from now, like I've got, what, 37 years until I'm 80? Yeah, and, and so 37 years from now, with the technological advances that'll be in the world and how quickly technolo- technology kind of multiplies on top of itself, who knows yeah. what kind of life they'll be able to offer you to live at the age of 80 when we're 30, 35 years in the future. Well, fuck you. I've only got 25. They need to get about the business, man. Yeah, man. I mean, it's... It's one of those things like just just think 30 years ago. Just go let's go back to 1992 30 years ago and think of all the technological advances that have been made in a variety of fields and that was 1992 was 30 years ago. True that, true that. And, so, and nah, you know. That's a, that's a great way to talk about it, bro. It I is. Look at you on a roll today. Yeah, look yeah, at I mean, me. Get, look at you, you get engaged and, I mean goddamn. I'm yeah. all over the thing, man. I've yeah, got it all. Yeah. See, marriage becomes you. I always knew that about yeah, you. Though. Here I am. Here I am. So <laughs> there's a, a fun little trip around the block with some notes for you. But as we continue here, let's tell you if we may. And I know so many of you are big fans of this. Smokey John's Barbecue. As a matter of fact, one of our great listeners, and I've, I've talked to this dude a handful of times. He's a good guy. Steve Mooney on Twitter, who tweeted at us earlier a picture of the jam session bowl and the steve white he says had to go for the secret menu lunch at smoky john's we ordered the jam session bowl and the steve white the food is amazing if you live in dfw or come into town definitely come check this place out best barbecue in dallas those are his words bro (laughs) it's true i mean he's not Mm. he's not capping he's telling the truth smoky john's is fantastic and if you're not in Dallas, all you got to do is go to the website, SmokeyJohns.com. Click on the marketplace. You can get the rub and the sauce that Matt likes to drink and, and put on, uh, what do you call those things? Turkey wraps that have no bread. Uh, you know, yeah. it's delicious. I'm a big it, fan, man. Anywhere in the country, man, you can have Smokey John's in your house in a couple of days. Yeah, and, and I retweeted a picture because he got a gorgeous picture of the Jam Session Bowl. Yeah, he did. And if that does not look good to you, you probably are not someone who eats food. Right. Because that looks incredible. Which means screw you, buddy. I'm just saying, man, that looks unbelievable, the Jam Session Bowl. And it's only available at Smokey John's Barbecue and only available for our listeners because it's on the secret menu. They created it just for us. I feel like I gained two pounds. From the Smokey John's Bowl? Yeah, just the Jam Session Bowl? (laughs) Dude, and then the Steve White, which is, and I got to tell you, man, I know most people don't think about catfish at a barbecue place, but the the Steve White is another one of their secret menu items. Their catfish, I mean, the cornmeal, the way they do it, some of the best fried catfish I've ever had in my life. And it's at Smokey John's, but it's not on the menu either. You got to know to order. (laughs) That's why I love Smokey John's, bro. (laughs) No, I remember because I wanted to try it because I remember when I had it. I mean, this is a while back, and I remember in my head thinking, I don't know. I was like catfish at a at a barbecue. I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna try it and see. And then I had. I was like, holy crap! Like that. If you in a barbecue spot, if you can do everything barbecue really good, and you also are doing fried catfish on this level, I mean, I'm just good luck. You you a beast, dude. Smoky Johns, go eat it. It's so good. Just put it in your mouth. Snack on it. Hell yeah. Words to live by, probably. So, <laughs> the World Games. 
I don't think anybody knows what the hell the World Games are. Nope. The World Games are an event held every four years, and they feature a lot of random-ass sports. Well, I bring this up because the World Games opening ceremonies is Thursday night, and then they will be in Birmingham, Alabama, where I live. It's a big deal here, man. I mean, they are blocking off streets. They are having events at venues all over the city. It's all kinds of stuff, and and, and I'm kind of excited and curious to check it out. But they are from July 7th through July 17th. It's a 10-day event. They have sold over 350,000 individual tickets to all the events. Well, now, that's a lot of tickets selling, brother. There's a lot of people coming in. I think this is a much bigger deal in Europe. It, I, it kind of seems like to me. Okay, what exactly are the World Games again? It's, it's like the Olympics. It's held every four years. But it's in a variety of different sports, most of which are not in the Olympics. Like, probably the ones that would be most recognizable that are in the World Games are softball. They have that, and, I mean, the big softball names that everybody knows are coming to town, they're doing that. And lacrosse. They have softball, lacrosse. But even, like, for instance, like, they have breakdancing. Breakdancing is a World Games sport that you can win a gold medal in. Breakdancing. Yes. Unbelievable. Inline hockey gymnastics they have all sorts of like corfball fistball flag football floorball handball wheelchair rugby they have sumo wrestling in this thing there is tug of war there is a tug of war event which i really want to go check out but we'll see they have all sorts of different like water sports there's sport climbing there's water skiing and wakeboarding I mean, there's 45 different sports, and then within those sports, there's a variety of different events. And I mean, when I say they're all over Birmingham, if you some of the events are down at Oak Mountain, which is probably about 20 to 25 minutes from where I live. They have parachuting, like like it's called canopy targeting or something, where you jump out of a plane and guide yourself to a target on the ground. They're doing that (laughs) out by my house where I live. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know what to think about all this because it's one of those things. Nobody that I talk to has ever heard of this before. Everybody in Birmingham is super familiar with it now. But like all the people, my friends back home in Texas and in the Dallas area, none of them have a clue and have never heard of this before in their lives. And this is something that happens every four years. Unbelievable, bro. So I don't know what to make of this. So what's your top three things you want to see? Tug of war. Tug of war I'd like to see. Break dancing I'd like to see. Because I thought if you're at a level where you can travel across the world to do break dancing, you must be a badass. True that, true that. And then drone racing is an event, and that's supposed to be really cool as well. What do they take the drone, drones through, like an obstacle course? Yeah, they race drones. Exactly. Because it can't, it can't be just straight speed, so it must be like a void. Yeah, there, there's a couple of different things in that. You know, and, and some of the event. the problem is, is that I missed out on, they were selling these day passes, and I didn't realize that, that they had a, a deadline to buy the day pass. They were selling day passes, and for 35 bucks, you could buy a day pass and go to in all the events you wanted in one day. You're a big-time media celebrity in Birmingham. You should be able I'll to I've tried, trust pay. me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can use my media credential, but the lady fiancé would not be able to use a media credential. So I don't know. It's really interesting because each individual event, the tickets cost anywhere from 20 to 40 bucks per event. And I was like, oh, I don't want to spend one hundred and fifty dollars to go through to go watch three sports that I don't even ca- really care about. Now I'll go nah, spend. Nah. I think we're gonna. I told her I was like, you know what? Let's do. I said, let's pick one event that we want to go to that we think would be cool because I'd like to experience this. I really want to check it out. 
let's do that. It, it, it's twenty five dollars a ticket, and if we're just there for a couple of hours, at least we went, we checked it out because we're never we're never going to the World Games ever again. This really is a once in a lifetime thing because I've never heard of them and didn't know they existed, and they don't host them in the United States very often. This is only oh, the okay. second time ever. So they started in 1981 in Santa Clara in California. This is the second time ever that they've been in the United States. They have not been here since 1981. Yeah, I don't think it's coming back. I don't either. <laughs> Thompson? Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I don't know. I, I, like in 2025, they're in, they're in China. Five years ago because of the COVID, usually they're over four years. But in 2017, they were in Poland. Right, right. So, I don't know, man. This is a weird thing. Really weird thing. But it, it's governed by the International World Games Association under the patronage, the, the patronage of the International Olympic Committee. Hmm. All right. And I don't know why they started them. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, it's, but it's a big deal. I mean, they sent some stuff out about, you know, if you see something, say something and, and keep your eyes open for what you think is suspicious activity and there's all kinds of security all around i mean it's it's wild man i don't know what to think about it and and some of the events are getting sold out and all this dude i think it's the uh i think it's the hype thing and the fact that uh, it's a bunch of unique sports that you hadn't heard of yeah there's a lot of that i think so we'll see, but I, probably sometime this weekend, we're just going to go and, and get a couple of tickets and go to an event and check it out, and, and I'll report back later on. Good. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see. I'm, I'm going to go to the fan zone at least check. I'm going to go get my media credential because you never know what kind of media gift they might have. There you go. Spoken like a true member of the media. Those are, you know, those, sometimes those, <laughs> I mean, you never know. Sometimes you get like the, like some stupid little shitty thing and you're like, why Really? Like, this is what you think of us as the media? And then, like, that backpack we got, what was that, the Miami Super Bowl we went to? That backpack we yeah. got, I still use mine every day. <laughs> nah, I gave mine to my dude, but he was using it. So. Yeah, I use it all the time. It was, I mean, it's a freaking, like, kick-ass Nike backpack with the Super Bowl emblem on it. It was been for free, just for being there with the media was kind of awesome. <laughs> and I actually got, uh, this year at the... What was that? The Cotton Bowl or whatever for the playoff when Alabama was playing in Dallas. I went to the media thing and the media gift was like a pullover with the playoff symbol on it. I was like, you know what? This is actually a really nice pullover. I'll wear this. So I was like, sweet, hey, that'll work. It'd be like that sometimes, bro, when they got the right stuff. Yeah, it'd be nice if they'd give flat screen televisions or something. But, you know, a lot of times they don't have it now. So, uh, you know. Yeah, that's true. I, I've been... Man, some college football thing we went to, I got a notebook. It was a leather-bound notebook. And I was like, really? This is it? Like, you're giving, this, like... This this is what we got for me, huh? Yeah, and they're probably like, you guys are media. Who the hell... Like, notebooks? Everybody's using computers now. Why don't you give us an iMac or something? A MacBook, <laughs> whatever you call them. Something we can really use. I mean, this is, these are major college football bowls that bring in millions of dollars. You can't give us all a MacBook as our media gift? Nah, bro. All right, and the final thing, so I'll, I'll let you know on, when we record on Sunday, on Monday's podcast, if we end up going to the World Games this week, I'll, I'll make a note to bring it up because I don't know what to expect. But, it, I mean, apparently there's people from over 100 countries that have arrived in Birmingham, and they're everywhere. 
No, so we'll see how exciting. that goes. Sounds exciting to me. So the other thing that we can conclude with here is, and I don't know what to make of this, but you sent the article, and I'm sure everybody, if you're not familiar, Brittany Griner, who is a WNBA player who is from Texas. She played her college basketball in Baylor. She is the only NCAA basketball player to score 2,000 points and block 500 shots. She's 6'9", very recognizable. Well, Brittany Griner has been detained in Russia, I want to say since like February. I think it's been yeah, since February. Bro. It's been a minute now. She's been there for a long time, and she was detained for apparently, allegedly, the Russians are saying this, so who the hell knows if they're even telling the truth. She had some vape pens that were marijuana concentrated, and she had them on her person when she was trying to go through an airport in Russia. Allegedly, she had them. And so Russia arrested her and detained her because in Russia, that is something that is crazy against the law and carries a penalty where she could be in jail for like 10 years in a Russian prison. Yeah, I think the, the reason I sent it was, according to reports, she pleaded guilty to that today, which seemed odd to me. Um, but, you know, maybe it's... It doesn't really matter if you plead or not. Uh, the United States is acting like you're improperly detained, and so they're trying to negotiate your release. So it doesn't matter whether you plead right. guilty or not. Um, but I was just like, you know, we've seen that that movie. Broke Down Palace. With, yeah, with Claire Danes. Claire Danes and, and just, Kate Beckinsale, I believe. See? Look at you. And I like that movie. But nope, because I just, thought the same damn thing, dude. Man, you just can't be fucking around in, in another country. <laughs> you just can't, and um, and if you if you are, and in this case, it's kind of shady. So, you know, who knows whether, whether she did it, whether she didn't. But it's got to be incredibly scary to be in a legal system in a country where you don't speak the language and where you're like literally by yourself trying to fight the government, because you know it's yes. just, dude, it's it's got to be the scariest thing in the world. Yes, and you are right. She has pled guilty to the drug charges in Russia. She faces up to 10 years in prison. And basically in Russia, like 99% of people are charged. Like she's not getting out of this. From what I understand is it sounds like the United States and Russia are trying to set this up for a prisoner exchange. Now, I, again, nobody knows. Like her lawyer is basically saying that taking into account all the circumstances of the case, taking into account the personality of her client, we believe that the guilty plea should be taken into account, all this type of thing to the Russian judge. They say she was clean, she was tested, her system did not show any traces of drugs. I don't know what to think about this. They, they say, Russian officials say they found the cannabis oil in her luggage. She has pled guilty to it for reasons that she was told to plead guilty. And, and Griner apparently told the court that she had not intended to commit a crime, did not mean to carry drugs in her luggage, she said, through an interpreter, and was the result of her packing in a hurry. My thing is, to your point, if you are going to a foreign country, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have a vape pen. No. Like, you can't mess with any of this. And like you said, that movie, Broke Down Palace, 
where Claire Danes and, and Kate Beckinsale get busted for, you know, something very similar to this. And they think, oh, we're Americans. No big deal. We'll just call a lawyer and get us out. And I think it was in Thailand in the movie. Right. right and right. they were like, nah, it doesn't work like that here. You're in, you're in jail forever now. You're like, well, what about my, you, this is one thing that I don't think people realize when they travel abroad, just because you're an American doesn't mean you have the rights of an American in foreign countries, especially in countries like a Russia. <laughs> it's wild, man. Uh, I'm with you though. You, when you travel overseas, man, or you travel out of the United States, you just have to be incredibly careful about what you're doing because you don't want to be in that situation, man. Because if you're in it, it's incredibly hard to get out. Now, this one has got all kind of political stuff surrounding yes. it. Yes. Yeah, so, again, yeah. you really never know. It, it may have been no fault of her own uh, why she's in this predicament. Um, and they're trying to negotiate her and to negotiate her. And ultimately, I believe that she'll, come, she'll be back and she'll come back and they'll, they'll figure, work out a deal. But, dude, while they're working it out and those days are going by slowly by slowly, it's, it just must be the fight is for your sanity. Yeah, I mean, she's not in an American prison. Right. She's in Russia. And you, and you have no idea how you're being treated or, or any of that. Yeah, and, and again, nobody knows the real facts of this case. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Russia kind of looked at it as an opportunity to get a prisoner trade done and planted the stuff. I, we don't know. We have no idea. Again, it's allegedly the Russian officials. This is what they're saying. All we know, she did plead guilty. She did say that she packed them and it was an accident. You know, and I don't know if she's saying that because that's what she was told to say or what. But again, it's broke down, broke down palaces happening in front of our face. Yeah, bro. And it's just a it's a scary thing to me, man. It is a scary thing. And that that's one thing. You know, my brother travels abroad all the time and has never run into any problems like this. But he also is smart about it and probably isn't traveling around or going to places and being like, oh, I'll just take this bag of weed and my whatever. No big deal. And while, yes, it is bizarre that anybody in any country would get 10 years for weed, those are the rules in that world. And you have to be cognizant and aware where you are going. Like, remember that dude years ago that got caned a bunch of times or whatever because yeah. he, he stole Woo. like a pack of mustard or some crap and everybody was... I was like, but again, it's not America. That That's like... We have freedoms here that in a lot of other countries they don't have. And you can't just go to another country. But, oh, well, in America, okay, cool. You're not in America, says other country. We're going <laughs> to cane the shit out of you for looking at that person walking across the street or whatever it can be. Nah, bro. That's real talk right there. That's what it happens, and that's why it's such a scary situation. It is. And that's why, uh, that's why, that's why it int interested me just because she played guilty today. Yeah, it is. And, and so we'll see what becomes of it. But from what I've read, because I was digging into it a little bit there, it sounds like this is the first step in setting up a prisoner exchange. And supposedly somebody the Russians are asking for is a dude who was like a, a legally track trafficking weapons and stuff and yeah. is known as the merchant of death. And Biden, it ain't a f President Biden, fair trade. No, but <laughs> President Biden's like been like he has advisors going, dude. We can't release that guy. And see, that's the problem, bro. That's the problem. So uh, we'll, I don't know. We'll see how this plays out. And again, you don't have to tweet us and send us messages. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know all the legalities on this. I'm sure as hell not familiar with Russian foreign policy whatsoever. I'm just going off what one article is that I read. Okay. 
because it never fails anytime we get into this. Well, that's not true. Basically, in Russia law, blah, blah. I, was like, I don't care. You know why? Because I'm not in Russia. <laughs> and if I was, I sure as shit wouldn't be traveling with weed. Nah, bro. See, I thought we were going to be done with the podcast, but then you just texted me something, and we can't not talk about this. <laughs> because you just sent me this notice that you saw on Twitter. Hanna-Barbera Productions was founded 55 years ago today. One of the great production companies that produced some of the most classic cartoons in the history of time. Tom and Jerry, The Flintstones, Yogi Bear, Scooby-Doo. I mean, I can't, the list just goes on. There's a gazillion of them. There's a, a million gazillion that they have done. But how right. do you just pick your top three Hanna-Barbera oh, characters? Uh, characters or shows? I think I, shows like, would be different. Well, characters, uh, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm such an old school guy. There's a million there's, of them. There's, but there's probably some I'm forgetting, so I'm just doing my favorites. Like Scooby-Doo was up at the top, man. And then Fred Flintstone and Barney, aren't they? They're like a couple, Fred and Barney. They're gay? Um, see, stop that, man. No, just, I thought that's just, what you meant. Aren't they married? No. Don't don't disparage your names like that. And then well, you have said to they're like them. a couple. Well, you know, I mean, you can't have Fred without Barney, man. Oh, you I mean, mean like a one. duo? They had wives, so maybe they were swingers. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you threw me off with that. I was like, oh my god, is this like Bert and Ernie? Am I about to hear a revelation here? <laughs> I had no idea. I really didn't. Uh, and then shoot, dog. I'm trying to think. I really might go with the Jetsons, man. Yeah, those are. It, it's hard to get past those. What about Huckleberry Hound? Were you a fan of him? He was. He was amusing, but. That's it. I didn't. Yeah. I never took him seriously. Johnny Bravo had a little something in, in the late '90s when I was in college. I remember people looking at that, trying to think the new adventures of Captain Planet that they started when I was like in eighth grade or whatever. Nah. I mean, they've had a bunch of of cartoons. I used to. I mean, the Powerpuff Girls are Hanna Barbera. I mean, there are, there's a certain generation of ladies who are obsessed with the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, bro. And I'm not one of them. <laughs> I was going to say, they did the Smurfs. My God, they did the Smurfs. Oh, well, you know, the Smurfs are up there, though. Holy crap. God, Tom and Jerry, obviously. I don't know, man. This isn't, I don't know how you do it. Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear was badass. Now, Yogi Bear was good. This is impossible. Still, I didn't watch any of those as much as I watched those first three. Yeah, the Flintstones, the Jetsons. Man, I don't know, dude. This, I, I might have, because, I mean, the Smurfs, you have to realize, came out when I was a little kid. Now, I was big in the Smurfs, though. Smurfs and I, I watched a ridiculous amount of the Smurfs. I might have seen more Smurfs than I've seen of anything else Hanna-Barbera. Because Gar Gargamel used to crack me up, man. Yeah. Space Ghost was badass. Space Ghost was legit now. He was legit. What about Snagglepuss? I just like the fact that I could say puss. Why? And not get in trouble. The name of the character, it's Snagglepuss. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying, Hanna-Barbera has a well, character named Snagglepuss. Okay. It's funny, though, because looking at this list of Hanna-Barbera characters, it's interesting to see how many, and I don't necessarily know if they had their own cartoon or whatever, but I remember the character. Because we all remember, right. like, we're talking about, like, the Flintstones, the Jetsons, what have you, Huckleberry Hound maybe as well. But do you remember, like, for instance, uh, Quick Draw McGraw? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, Captain Caveman. Horse. Yeah, remember Captain Caveman? 
I do not remember. Captain you don't remember Cave. Captain Caveman? I remember he had like the captain or whatever he did. I remember him. He had trying to look at just some of these names that that are on this list of you know characters that you forget about. Like for instance, Snagglepuss was one of those. Penelope Pitstop. I remember her. Adam Ant is on this. Uh, let me see. I think I remember Adam Ant. The Great Gazoo. <laughs> I oh, mean, the Great Gazoo. That was uh, he was with the Flintstones. Was he really? Yeah. God, man. I and mean, he that, spun off into his own show. This is insane. How many of these there are? Doggy Daddy. He was on that weird show called uh, uh, what was it? Augie Doggy or whatever it was called. Yeah, I'm, I'm shady on that one. Yeah, it was so man. I mean, this is this is really nuts. I mean, when, when you start diving into this and you see how many characters that Hanna Barbera created. And that they were founded 55 years ago. And you go through all these shows and all the different characters that, I mean, quite honestly, are iconic and have sustained time. I mean, the kids today can watch some of these and be all about it. True that, true that. I, I mean, mean but I grew up in probably you grew up in the, in the cartoon era. Like, I don't know the kids watch cartoons now. Yeah, if they do, they watch those weird ones like BoJack watch Horseman anime. or whatever, anime They watch stuff. anime, Dragon Ball Z and all of that. Yeah, Cartoon but, Network with, with Adult Swim or whatever. Yeah, but they ain't watching it at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. No, you're exactly right. You I, know, did, I did grow YouTube up like that. YouTubing it. And uh, yeah, me and you were watching it at 7 o'clock Saturday morning or whatever time you got up uh, while you were cleaning your room a lot of times uh, in my household. So, But no, nah, cartoons are great. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I just that made me curious. So I just went 1985. This is the fall lineup, fall of 1985 at 8 a.m. Wow. At 8 a.m., you could choose from on the on the three main networks. Okay, ABC, CBS, NBC. You could choose from Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, The Berenstein Bears Show, or Snorks. And then that was followed by the the Adventures of the Gummy Bears, which is one of the great cartoons of all time. Wow. At 9 a.m., you could choose from Muppet Babies and the Smurfs. At 10 a.m., Punky Brewster came on and the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. At 11 a.m., Alvin and the Chipmunks came on, or you could choose from the CBS Story Break or Scooby's Mystery Funhouse. Now, what's interesting about that is I was a senior in high school that year, so I wasn't watching none of that. No, you weren't, but man, that was my wheelhouse where I was hardcore into Saturday morning cartoons. Because I remember, like, the Care Bears and uh, the Adventures of the Gummy Bears. I mean, how, how would you move from the TV? Fall of 1987. All right? <laughs> I, I'm, what am I? I'm eight years old. I'm in second grade. Here I am at 8 a.m. waking up, and, and I don't even have to change the channel. I get Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, followed by the Smurfs, followed by Fraggle Rock, followed by Alvin and the Chipmunks, followed by Alf the Animated Series. Are you kidding me? I probably, I bet my parents had to forcibly remove me. And if I didn't want to do that channel, well, hey, look at this on ABC. I had the Care Bears, followed by the Little Clowns of Happy Town, the Pound Puppies, the Real Ghostbusters, the Flintstone Kids, and the Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show. Bruh, don't my get much God. better than that. Those were the glory days, the good old days. They don't make them like this anymore. No, good Lord. I mean, no wonder we sat there. And I still remember they used to have this little jingle. And I can't remember what channel it was, but it was these little claymation figures. And they would go like this. After these messages. And then the little claymation figures, their heads would fall off and they would roll over to the other person and they would change heads. We'll be right back. <laughs> Swear to you, dude. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't even know what to tell you. It was ABC. I just Googled it. Saturday morning bumpers on ABC. You got to look them up, man. They're the weirdest, like, weird-ass claymation stuff from, like, 87, 88, 89, I think it was. Damn. Of course, those were my college years, so. Yeah, you were waking up on Saturday morning and being like, no, get back in bed, baby. On a good Friday, yes. See? (laughs) (laughs) All right, and there it is. That is a podcast right there, friends. I mean, my God, that's a podcast. Hell yeah. That's how we do it. And I hope you enjoyed it. Another new episode coming your way Monday. Enjoy your weekend. And we will talk again very, very soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.